All right, well, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for a new week, a new start, and an opportunity to pause and to come together to think about your word and your people and our lives and where we're headed. Help us, Lord, to learn, to grow, to be focused on what we're called to do, to pray, to trust, uh, and to walk by faith as we seek to implement these things in our lives and in our families. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today and and next Lord's Day, Lord willing, I want to wrap this series up on child-rearing. And it's one of those subjects that, you know, it, it... it can go a lot of different directions, and it's hard to find a stopping place because there's always there are always more issues and uh, things to consider, think about. Uh, but t- today and, and next week, I want to deal with uh, a bit with teenagers and think a bit a bit about how, as as our children grow and as they mature, uh, keeping in mind that our goal is to raise adults. Uh, what worked when they were two or six or ten, now uh, we need to shift. Because it, it's not that the goals have changed. They haven't. Uh, it's not that you know, the, the fundamental things of respect and authority and love and grace and gospel and all of that are always still central regardless of their age. It's just that they are they are the ones that are changing. And then we as parents have to adapt to that um, our methods and uh, approach, if as they become more adult-like, as they mature, then of course we want to interact with them in that way. And one of the problems sometimes is, as parents, we don't. We we're still trying to uh, deal with a 15-year-old the way we dealt with a 10-year-old, and that doesn't. Uh, that's often counterproductive. Um, I I came across. Uh, I think this came from a fellow pastor, Al Stout, who said he took his uh, this basic idea from somewhere, and he couldn't recall where either. So that's kind of like almost everything I've done in this series. I've gathered from people all over the places and thrown in a little of my own stuff. But he uh, so he said, uh, I apologize to David or Paul Tripp, Dr. Dobson, or whoever it was that I was ripping off. Um, so uh, after... 38 years of this, or really longer than that, uh, uh, of reading, thinking, listening to sermons and all those kinds of things. Uh, at some point, it all gets thrown into a big melting pot, and uh, that's good. That's, that's what we need to do. So here it is. Time is a creation of God, and you should teach your children to rule time. When you're five years old, everything is uh, in the immediate and the future is never. Everything's right now. And uh, you must train them out of that way of thinking before the teen years, and grasping the immediate uh, has long, uh, and grasping the immediate has long-term consequences. Um, a case study. After swimming for two hours, it comes time for lunch. You look at your watch and Johnny and say, "Johnny, get out of the pool. It's time for lunch." This is a shock to Johnny's sensibilities. Um, what do you mean, get out? Uh, I will never get back in here again, and right now I'm full of joy. Uh, who wants to give up joy for a currently ethereal peanut butter and jelly sandwich 
So he responds with a resounding no. Uh, the other poolside parents snicker as he swims to the middle of the pool. Here is what I suggest. Be your own ecclesiastical teacher. Teach him about times. Before you get to the pool, talk about it. Johnny, there's a time for swimming and a time for eating. A time to slide and a time for juice boxes. We're going to do both, and here's how it's going to work. I'm going to let you swim for a long time, and I'll let you know when you have 15 minutes left for pool time. Go down the slide one more time, jump off the edge, do a couple more flips, and then when I say that the 15 minutes are up, then it's time to get out for lunch, and you respond right away. Okay? Then follow through with this plan. Uh, So here's my addendum. You can also apply this to church and other occasions. uh, We're going to church today, and you're going to get to spend some good time with your friends. Uh, But there will also be a time to worship God and serve his people. Here's what we're all going to do. We're going to sit still and be quiet and pay attention and sing and lift our hands and pray and worship Uh, worship God from our hearts. We're going to make a fresh commitment to follow Jesus this week, and we're going to go to the bathroom before the service starts so we don't have to get up during the service and distract others. And we're going to listen to the sermon so we can talk about it later. And after church, we're going to find someone to talk with for a few minutes other than your regular friends. Then we're going to help set up for for lunch, and then you can go spend some time, more time, with your good friends. Then, when it's time to clean up, we're going to help. Okay? And then follow through with that plan. See how that helps? You're, you're laying out the plan. You're setting before them what your expectations are. And so it's not a surprise. It's, it's, it's part of the routine. And you're helping them do that. You're, it's not a, you're not fussing at them. This is part of discipline. It's called... Um, Formative discipline. I've got to tell you what to do, perhaps a little bit of how to do it, and then we're going to do it. Now, corrective discipline is, is when they don't do it. And that could be a simple word. Hey, let me remind you, we're going to go help set up. You may need to do that. You shouldn't have to do that every week because part of obedience is remembering. So... You have the same objectives in parenting with teens. The parenting objective for the teen years, uh, again, is not any different. Hopefully your children have been maturing, and if so, then that means you have been maturing. You're now the parent of a teenager. Um, They have been learning, and you've been learning, and you have taught them to love God. You've taught them the lessons of respect. You have loved them and shown them respect. And then the teen years, if that's the case, then the teen years are going to go much better, but they will not go without some new challenges. They're they're now, uh, we have a new puppy, and uh, as you know, with puppies, you're always teaching them, uh, like you do children, the word no, and what they can and can't do, and where they can and can't go. And you do pretty good uh, if you have them around the house, but if you go out, like where we are, where you have a pasture, and they get about uh, 30 feet away from you, suddenly they don't think they have to listen to you. 
And so that becomes a new challenge of how do I maintain control over this immature dog in such a way that they will be obedient to me uh, when I need them to come. And I won't get into all that, but the, the concepts are similar in, and they're not identical because we're dealing with people instead of dogs, but there are some things to be learned there. Uh, understanding what's going on with teenagers is critical to being able to help them navigate through this challenging period of their lives. I've met a few, but not very many people who said if they could, they'd go back and be a teenager again. Um, I'm not one of those. Um, and so just remember, parents, that's a tough time of life. You know, there's a lot going on there, a lot of changing in their bodies, in the way they view the world, in their social life. There's a, a whole lot going on there. And they're, um, and so for, for some, measure, some measure of pity and sympathy is in order for teenagers, some measure. You know, and that's helpful even if it's just... Uh, two of you, uh, you know, the kids are all gone. Just to have that weekly family meeting to discuss a number of things, but scheduling and other expectations. You know, you've got piano practice, you've got uh, this, uh, whatever. And, and, and that's, we're going to say a little bit more about this uh, in a few minutes, about setting out what the expectations and responsibilities are and not over-parenting not doing too much for your children. That's a, there are two ways you can go wrong here. You can say, hey, they're teenagers. I can't do anything with them. Uh, they, they do their own thing. That's really bad. Uh, the other is uh, they're, they're uh, clumsy and uh, immature and irresponsible, and so I'll just do everything for them. And that's the other ditch on the other side. So we'll get to that in a minute. That, that's very good. Um, so I want to take a moment and uh, speak about indulgence. And I don't mean the theological indulgences, but um, I have some hard things to say, and I don't want to say it, but I would be less than honest and less than loving if I didn't. And so I want to revisit a topic that I've covered before, but it's the issue of indulgence, indulging our children too much. Indulgence comes in many forms. It can be uh, material um, is certainly, material indulgence is certainly to be avoided. Don't buy your kids everything. They shouldn't get everything they want. They get some of the things they want, but learning to not have some things is important too. There's another kind of indulgence that starts out by parents giving in to whining and manipulation. That's a really you get more of what you pay for. If whining and manipulation gets them something that they want and you gave it to them, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get more whining and manipulation. Um, remember, you again, you always get more of what you pay for. If whining and manipulation work, if they pay off for your children, then expect more. One example that I often see is that some parents automatically believe the complaints of their children against other children, other peers, teenagers, uh, teachers, and others. It is not their, it's not that their complaints might not be true. They might be. It's that they might not be true. And parents should not assume that their little darling is always accurate and honest. They are not. 
It is not their, uh, uh, excuse me, an accusation doesn't make something true. And so when someone says, don't you believe me? The answer should be, not necessarily. Let me investigate. I have a few more questions. You might need to talk to somebody else, get another point of view. Uh, the first one, Proverbs 18:17. the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Many, many times after we've heard all the facts, a better explanation emerges. You might discover that a few significant details were left out of your child's report. Understandable. A, ch- a young child who has been indulged becomes an unmanageable teenager. Keep that in mind if you've still got little ones. They have learned that if they manipulate you, they will prevail and they will get what they want. And you will stop being the parent and they will call the shots and they will make the decisions. They will be in charge. Remember that's one of the fundamental issues, who's in charge? And soon you'll be doing backflips to keep them happy. Or to, yeah, to make, try to make sure you avoid them being unhappy. Now they have come to think it's your job to make them happy. And if you stop making them happy, they will despise you. They will hate you. That's what indulgence does. There's an old saying, a, a privilege once granted becomes a right. Uh, so you do something and now it's expected. Uh, where's my whatever? You didn't make my bed today, mom. What's wrong? Are you okay? Uh, where's breakfast? It's been here every day all my life, and suddenly it's not here. How come my dirty clothes are still piled up over here? Is the washing machine broken? So your indulgence has now become an entitlement. How many times have I heard parents say regarding a teenager, we're going to let them do blank because we don't want to lose them. You already lost them if you're at that point. We don't want to tell them no. We don't want to uh, tell them they need to be home at a certain time uh, because if we do, they're going to be really upset and we just don't want to deal with that. You should remember you are the grown-up. They will need you before you need them. And loving them is doing for them what they need, not necessarily what they want. You're going to give them a lot of things they want, some things that they want and they don't ever say thank you for or appreciate because they think you owe it to them. And hopefully someday when they're older, they'll come back and thank you. But don't shift the blame. Your children do what they do because you let them. So that's my little sidetrack on indulgence. Uh, So I'll return to uh, an admonition directly to the teenagers. Um, The Bible is also written to you and for you. Uh, You who are Christian teenagers, you are not little children, and you are not adults. You're not little children, and you're not adults. Um. Where you are is under your parents' authority. God put you there, and he put you there because he loves you very much. God is getting you ready 
to be adults. You are going, you are going uh, where you're going is to Christian maturity. You're going to be some kind of an adult, some kind of a spouse, some kind of a parent, some kind of an aunt, uncle, some kind of a laborer, a worker, some kind of a boss or an employee. What you do as a teenager will have a profound effect on what kind of an adult you will be. Proverbs 1, 7 through 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. They will... They will uh, adorn you. So to the parents of teens, for the parents of teens, it's probably better for them that they uh, learn to deny themselves uh, rather than express themselves. Let me say that again. What you want for your teens is not to teach them to express themselves, but to deny themselves. That's more important. They're going to express themselves. Uh, but remember, our basic problem and their basic problem is selfishness. And love is about selflessness, denying ourselves. In Paul David Tripp's book, An Age of Opportunity, and I've recommended that book before. If you have teenagers, really encourage you to read that. I think it's one of the best things out there. The teen years are often cataclysmic years of conflict, struggle, and grief. Uh, They are years of new temptations, of trial and testing, yet these very struggles, conflicts, trials, and tests are what produce such wonderful parental opportunities. Doesn't always feel like an opportunity when it's happening, but it is. Tripp identifies three areas of challenge and opportunity that are common to teenagers. Uh, It is critical for parents of teens to recognize this because They provide the context for understanding why certain behaviors happen. Your job is not to crush them, abandon them, or humiliate them. You are called to love, to respect, to lead, and discipline them for their good, for their good, uh, the glory of God, and for the good of the world. To To love God and love their neighbors. So, first... So here are the three. First, teenagers are insecure people. Actually, so are all the adults, but teenagers have special insecurities. Now, so frankly, we're all insecure in some areas, but teens are especially insecure. What do we do with our insecurities? What do you do with yours? We cover them. We hide them. We don't want people to see them. Because we're insecure. Everything is changing in their lives. Their physical appearance, their relationships, their ideas, their responsibilities. And the future can look pretty scary, but who wants to admit that? I know. I know, Mom. I know. They know everything, right? They know that they don't know everything, but they can't admit that they don't know everything. The Wizard of Oz, uh, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, um, is what we have going on here. Second, teens are often known for being rebellious, 
But what's behind this, in addition to a sinful heart, uh, are some new desires. They desire to be individuals who think for themselves. They want to be grown-ups. They desire freedom. They, they want to try new things. They want to test the boundaries. They want to make their own decisions. They want to, this is always kind of funny, but it isn't to them. They want to be different, just like everybody else. They want to fit in. They want to be accepted. Now, do you see any area in this list where conflict might come up? Like everywhere? Third, the world of the teenager is widening. It is a world full of new challenges, opportunities, friends, information, freedoms, responsibilities, feelings, experiences, and temptations. And when you add that they're relative inexperienced, they are relatively inexperienced in this, this becomes some potentially treacherous territory. But it also becomes an opportunity to understand and internalize some fundamental truths. These include the sovereignty and providence of God, the ever-present help of the Lord, the nature of biblical relationships, spiritual warfare, Discipline, self-control, self-denial, contentment, faithfulness, trustworthiness, community and communion, the world, the flesh, the devil, the principles of responsibility and accountability, priorities, stewardship, economics. All of that's changing all the time. It's, it's widening. Their widening world provides widening opportunities. Now, some of you like lists. Uh, I'm going to give you some lists this morning. Um, I could send these out if you like, so you don't have to try to write them all down. Um, I wrote this a few years ago, and it is not a complete list. Um, but uh, this one is particularly directed to sons, but a similar list could be, some of the overlap would be also to daughters or we could make one slightly different, but it gives you an idea. You could think about this, too. Ten things you ought to hear your son say sometime in their teen years. You're right, and I'm wrong. Will you forgive me? I need some help. I need some advice. Thank you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. What does this mean? Wasn't that a good sermon? <laughs> that might be hard, but wasn't that a good sermon? Can I go with you, Dad? Dad, I want to be like you. Okay? Now, not to make it too hard on sons or daughters. Twenty things your son ought to hear you say. No, you can't have that right now. Did you ask if you could help? You know, when you were at that function. Did you, did you ask, could you help? You might not speak to your mother that way. Excuse me, you may not speak to your mother that way. 
you need to redo that job until it's done right. You're going to finish that job. That's not good enough. If you said you would do it, then you're going to do it. No, you can't quit. Yes, you're going to go. You don't have to like it, but you do have to eat it or the principle that flows from it. Look him in the eye. Start over. No, you can't play a game. Have you sent your thank you notes yet? I love you. I'm proud of you. Well done. You're becoming a man. I'm sure you can handle it without me. So, probably we could add many things to those lists. But if you think about that, I think that gives you, again, we could do the same thing with daughters, um, and a lot of those would be the same things um, and should. But that should help us keep in mind what it is we're trying to do and accomplish and how what, that both of us have responsibilities. We want our young, our teenagers, to step up to the plate and do certain things, and we want to see that in them. But that means we have to do the same. We have to help them do those things. They have to have seen us do those things. Did you finish the job? Did you start over? Did you ever think, that's not good enough, I'm going to do it again? Have they seen you express those same kinds of thoughts and approaches to your life? Now, I ran across an article a few years back by Amy Carney, and I want to close today by sharing what she wrote about this. Quit doing these eight things for your teen this year if you want to raise an adult. And so she has eight things that you should stop doing for your teenager. Teenagers, you should be nervous at this point. Uh, So she begins, don't judge me if you happen to see my kids eating packaged Ritz crackers for school lunch. Don't judge me if they're on the sidelines of PE because they forgot their uniform. Don't judge me if they didn't turn, turn in their homework because it's still sitting at home on their desk. What some may view as a lack of parenting is what I deem parenting on purpose as we work to build necessary life, life skills in our kids. Stop, I stopped making daily breakfast and packing school lunches long ago. I don't feel obligated to deliver forgotten items left behind at home. And school projects and homework are not any part of my existence. Life's simpler. So how do we raise competent adults if we're always doing everything for our kids? Walk away from doing these eight things for your teen this school year. Number one, waking them up in the morning. If you're still waking a little Johnny up in the mornings, it is time to let an alarm clock do its job. 
My foursome have been expected to get themselves up on early school mornings since they started middle school. There are days uh, one will come racing out with only a few minutes to spare before they have to be out the door. The snooze button no longer feels luxurious when when it caused you to miss breakfast. Uh, I heard a mom actually voice out loud that her teen sons were just so cute, uh, cute still, that she loved going in and waking them up every morning. Please stop. I find my sons just as adorable as you do. But our goal is to raise well-functioning adults. Number two making their breakfast and packing their lunch. My morning alarm is the sound of the kids clanging cereal bowls. My job is to make sure there is food in the house so that they can eat breakfast and pack a lunch. <laughs> One friend asked, yeah, but how do you know uh, what they're bringing, bringing for school lunch? I don't. I know what food I have in my pantry, and it's on them to pack up what they feel is a good lunch. It will be only a few short years, and I'll have no idea what they're eating for any of their meals anyway at college. Free yourself uh, away from the peanut butter and jelly station now. Number three, filling out their paperwork. I have a lot of friends, which equates to a lot of uh, beginning of the school year paperwork. I used to dread this stack until the kids became of age to fill it all out themselves. Our teens are expected to fill out all their own paperwork to the best of their ability. They put the papers to be signed on a clipboard and leave it for me on the kitchen island. I sign them and put them back on their desk. Hold your teens accountable. They will need to fill out job and college applications soon, and they need to know how to do that without your intervention. Number four, Delivering, stop delivering their forgotten items. Monday morning, we pulled out of the driveway and screeched around the corner of the house when daughter dear realized she forgot her phone. That's another discussion. We have to go back, Mom. Another exclaimed that he forgot his freshly washed PE uniform folded in the laundry room. I braked in hesitation, and I contemplated turning around. Nope. Off we go. As the vision surfaced of both of them playing around on their phones before it was time to leave, parents don't miss opportunities to provide natural consequences for your teens. Forget something, feel the pain of that. Kids also get to see that you can make it through the day without a mistake consuming you. We also have a rule that mom and dad are not uh, to get pleading texts from school asking for forgotten items. It still happens, but we have the right to shoot back. That's a bummer. (laughs) Number five, making their failure to plan your emergency. Stop letting their failure to plan become your emergency. School projects do not get assigned the night before they're due. Therefore, I do not run out and pick up materials at the last minute uh, to get a project finished. 
I do always keep poster boards and general materials on hand for the procrastinating child, but other needed items you may have to wait for. Do not race to Michael's for your kid who hasn't taken the time to plan. This is a good topic to talk about in weekly family meetings, like Nathan was talking about. Does anyone have projects coming up that they're going to need supplies for so that I can pick them up at my convenience? <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> At my convenience this week. Number six, doing all their laundry. What? You didn't get my shorts washed? This response always backfires on the kid who may uh, lose their mind thinking that I'm the only one who can do laundry around here. Uh, Every once in a while, a child needs a healthy reminder that I do not work for them. Uh... The minute they assume that this is my main role in life is the minute that I gladly hand over the laundry task to them. Most days I do the washing and the kids fold and put their clothes away, but they are capable of tackling the entire process when need be. Number seven, emailing and calling their teachers and coaches. If your child has a problem with a teacher or coach, he's going to have to take it to the one in charge. There is no way that we as parents are going to question a coach or email a teacher about something that should have been between the authority figure and our child. Don't be that over-involved parent. Teach your child that if something is important enough to him, then he needs to learn how to handle the issue himself or at least ask you to help them. Number eight. Meddling in their academics. Put the pencil down, parents. Most of the time, I honestly couldn't tell you what my kids are doing for schoolwork. We talk about projects and papers over dinner, but uh, we've always had the expectation for our kids uh, to to do their own work and grades. At times, they've uh, earned principal lists, honor rolls, and National Junior Honor Society honors on their own accord, At other times, they've missed the mark. These apps and websites where parents can go and see every detail of their children's school grades and homework are not helping our over-parenting epidemic. Every blue moon, I'll ask the kids to pull up their student account and show me their grades because I want to know and I do care. I did did notice our daughter slacking off at the end of last year, and my acknowledgement helped her catch up but I am not taking it on as one of my regular responsibilities, and you shouldn't either. So what is your parenting goal? Is it to raise competent and capable adults? If so, then let's work on backing off in areas where our teens can stand on their own two feet. I know that there are babies, and it feels good to hover over them once in a while, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, It is up to us to raise them to be capable people. I want to feel confident when I launch my kids into the real world that they're going to be just fine because I step back and let them navigate failure and real-life stuff on their own. So please don't judge me if my kids scramble around shoving prepackaged items into that brown paper lunch bag. It's all on purpose, my friends. Now, there may be details here and there that we might differ on. You may have a different principle, but I think what's really important, and I think about this with worship, uh, 
we go from, even say within the CREC, we went to 20 different churches, we'd see a lot of things alike, and then we'd see some differences. And we might like some or not like others or prefer some and not prefer others. And that's the way our families should look. We're not all rubber stamp. We're not all going to do it exactly the same way. We're not all going to parent the same way. Our kids are not the same, right? Every, every one of our kids is different. And so uh, the point here isn't to be goose-stepping together, uh, but to be marching together to the same goal and for the same purpose, to raise godly adults, men and women, who are ready to step into life and to assume those responsibilities and for us to be cheering on the sidelines, to be looking and saying, you know, that's, that's what uh, we were working for. And it doesn't come all at once, and it doesn't even come when they hit the magic age of 21 or whatever. It, and it varies from person to person and circumstance to circumstance. But I, I wanna, I'll wrap up, and then we've got about five minutes if you've got comments or questions or observations. Um, as I often say to brides and grooms who are getting ready for weddings, I said it to Aaron and Gracie. I think I did yesterday. I, I met with another couple, so maybe it was them. I don't know. Um, uh, you know, as you're, particularly as you're preparing for your wedding, if you, if you, you know, the, the goal is to have joy. Okay? You might have a tear. You might have a stressful day. But at the end of the week, you should look back and say, we had a lot of joy. Same with raising kids. There will be tears. There will be stress. But by and large, each week, when you have that weekly meeting, you should think, was last week basically joyful or was it tears and, and sorrow? And if, it, if it's not a lot of joy in there with the other, then you're doing something wrong. You, gotta, you need some adjustments. Maybe you need some encouragement. Um, all right, questions, comments, stories? Well, that's, it's amazing. A lot of time we don't, we, we'll think a kid can't do something, but they actually can. I, mean, I was thinking this morning, we could, how, many, how long could we sit here and watch videos of little kids somewhere in the world that can do phenomenal things? Now, some of it's because they're gifted, you know, musicians or whatever. But think about what kids can learn. And, and you'll often see this. If you got a large family, by the time the you know the 14th child shows up, they're doing things at two that you know the other one couldn't do when they were 10, uh, because they've just watched everybody else do it, and it's just that's what everybody does. Have high expectations, and by the way, it's okay if they make a mess. Okay, I think it was Dobson, wasn't it, talking about? Uh, I remember our kids like letting them pour the milk. Oh, can't do that. They'll make a mess. They'll spill it. Yeah, well, clean it up. That's how you learn to pour it. That's okay. Milk, milk cleans up. Huh? That's true. Well, yeah, you do want it. You do want it cleaned up, and you can do. You can make sure they pour the milk uh, over the hard surface floor and not the carpet, and do things like that. But uh, yes, ma'am. Well, one simple 
example of that would be generally, let's say you got a little kid in particular, and it's time to clean up all their toys. That they got out. You could say, okay, you got them out. You're going to pick them up. I've shown you what I expect. You could do that. Or you could say, here, well, you know, let Daddy help you. Let's, let's pick up your stuff. I'm not going to do it for them. And I think it's great to help them. And, and she was talking about, okay, I regularly do laundry, but there are times when I don't. Uh, I regularly cook meals. And then there are times where you're on your own tonight. You're cooking on Thursday night. So I think there's a, uh, a shared yeah, combination of ser- we want to teach them how to serve others, but we also want to back off and, and not just have them be served. So I think that's just always going to be, you know, you have to kind of figure that out as you go uh, balancing that. What else? Any teenagers have anything you want to complain about? Yes. <laughs> Probably don't do that again. Yes, Nicole? We had a hard time always doing a family meeting even though we didn't have meal time together. And we found that in a couple of Christmas, 70 children involved in 70 things to use a large priority for. Yeah. So that people knew our schedule in the week what the activities were just so they could say, Yeah, use tools, be creative, ask other people, how do you handle this, what works, what doesn't, and you're going to have a lot of things you try that flop. What else? Got another minute. Okay, just remember to love each other. That's the, that's the simple overarching. We are there. I'm going to say it again. Uh, I'll say it again next weekend for a wedding because uh, it needs to be said over and over. Our families... Our homes are about communion, loving communion. Everything we do should contribute to that. And everything we do, if the devil has his way, he'll take the very same things that are supposed to increase our communion and he'll use it to kill us, to create division, to separate us, to create tensions and conflict so that we don't have communion because that's death. Communion and community is life. Conflict is separation and death. When you see that and you see something's going bad, badly at your house and there's turmoil and conflict, the devil has gotten a foothold. He's winning. Don't let him win. Kick him out. Resist the devil. Do the right thing and move it in the other direction. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our families, our children, our church. We thank you that you've given us promises and hope. You've given us your spirit and your word and the community of God's people. And we thank you for all those glorious gifts. Help help us to be wise as parents, to know how to love and respect our children and help our children to grow, to love and respect us and to love you. Bless us now as we go to worship in Jesus' name.